Hi, welcome to our show today. I'm Nevadita Carr, the host of the Anthropology Channel of the New Books Network. And today we are joined by Nicholas Kawa to talk about his most recent book, Amazonia in the Anthropocene, People, Soils, Plants, Forests. Hi, Nick. It's great to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. So why don't we start off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came about being an anthropologist. Yeah, so for most people in the U.S., I think uh, they're usually not familiar with the field of anthropology, probably until they go to college and maybe take, you know, a, a general education course um, as, you know, as part of their sort of college uh, career. But uh you know, for me, I was a little bit more aware of it as a child just because my uncle was an anthropologist. Oh, cool. So my uncle, Sandy Davis, had uh, worked and done research uh, among Maya people in Guatemala, Cachacal speakers, I believe. And then oh, wow. he also went on to work in Brazil, and he wrote a book called uh, Victims of the Miracle. And it was looking at the, the Brazilian, what was referred to as economic miracle of the 1970s, where there was a lot of infrastructural development and a lot of economic promise in Brazil, but he focused on, um, you know, really devastating impacts that that had on indigenous populations, especially in Amazonia. So from an early age, you know, I was aware, aware of anthropology because of his work and he would oftentimes send me, you know, um, little mementos from his travels and, uh, in time, both in Central America and South America. And so, you know, from a very early age, I was I was really intrigued by anthropology. And then later I kind of, you know, got into other fields and I was interested in biology and ecology and, and geology, which was actually my major starting out as an undergrad. And then I kind of quickly realized that, um, you know, the geologists really weren't my people. And even though anthropologists, you know, I took some anthropology courses and I wasn't 100% convinced that at the onset, but over time it really came to be the discipline that I, I grew to uh, love. Yeah, that's wonderful. And then what about specifically with um, your motivations for becoming involved in writing a book on pre-Columbian Amera Indians and contemporary rural Amazonians? Like, why did you choose the Amazon as your focus? Yeah, it's some, in some ways it kind of happened through serendipity. So I, I was interested in Brazil as an undergraduate and, you know, initially I had taken um, some classes in Spanish and then I was at the University of Arizona and they offer, uh, they offered Portuguese classes, uh, as well as part of the Spanish minor program that I was doing. So I, I took a, a Portuguese class based on the recommendation of a friend. And, um, you know, initially I thought, like, Spanish would be a practical language to learn, especially, you know, there in the Southwest, but um, I really became enamored with Brazilian Portuguese. And so when I was finishing my undergrad degree, I was convinced that I had to go to Brazil and uh, find a way to do it. And, you know, the way that it ended up happening is, like, I got a position teaching English in Brazil. And my placement, you know, I initially planned on maybe going to the Northeast to, to the state of Bahia or maybe to Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and I ended up getting a placement in the city of Manaus, which is the largest city in the Brazilian Amazon. Wow. And while I was there, um, I ended up getting um, uh, developing a relationship with a, with a, a research institute there, where I uh, was able to do an internship, and that led on to you know uh, further research. And I went on to graduate school, and and, and really wanted to focus 
human environmental relations in Brazilian Amazonia, looking you know across a, a pretty broad swath of time, looking at how people, um, you know, early Amazonians had really shaped their environment in, in subtle but persistent ways, um, but also looking at how contemporary um, Amazonian populations were continuing to shape the Amazonian environment. And in some cases, they were benefiting from uh, environmental modification and alteration by past um, populations, early Amerindian populations. And so the, the, the example that stands out, which I spent a lot of time looking at, was um, the soils known as uh, Amazonian dark earth in English or Tejapres do Indio in Portuguese. Um, they were these uh, environments of fairly persistent soil fertility that were the product of long-term um, management and deposition of organic materials and, um, uh, you know, other uh, agricultural refuse and, you know, just refuse from daily village living that led to uh, these very fertile lands that were wildly productive for agriculture. And so, you know, I, I, I was witnessing how people today were farming on areas that were the result of, you know, hundreds of years of management and use. Yeah. So also, I mean, something in your book that I've noticed is this the conceptualization of the Anthropocene. I mean, it's part of your title as well. So maybe could you describe what that means, this concept to our listeners, and maybe elaborate on its construct? Yeah. So the Anthropocene is a term and, and you know, a concept that's gained a lot of traction. And some people, you know, in some circles are tired of hearing about the Anthropocene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like, you know, globalization or sustainability from, I don't know, you know, a few years ago where it seems to be to be everywhere. But um, in the most basic terms, the Anthropocene is a new proposed geological epoch or a new proposed geological time period that's defined by uh, the pervasive human influence or human impacts on the earth. And... You know, as I was writing this book, I was I was looking at how Amazonian people had shaped their environments over hundreds and even thousands of years, and I started kind of putting some of my research into conversation with um, some of the broader scholarly conversations about the Anthropocene, and there was a lot of debate, you know, about there was a a, a general consensus that humans had, you know, radically altered the planet, and then the question was, well, where do we kind of um, where do we decide where the defining line is, where we moved from the Holocene, the past geological epoch, uh, into this new one known as the Anthropocene. And that continues to be a source of, of debate, but the early discussions really focused on the Industrial Revolution in Europe and that, you know, um, how, uh, you know, Europe had developed technologies that allowed for uh, pretty incredible uh, transformation um, of, of of the planet, and then you know later there were were discussions about whether that should actually um, be bumped up to um, you know the period around World War II or, or post World War II period, which is actually the the, the date that's now being proposed by the uh, Anthropocene Working Group. Um, but I was you know trying to point out that people had also been really radically altering and modifying their environments long before Europe's Industrial Revolution or even before the post-war period, um, we can see that um, even uh, hunters and gatherers and early farmers in various parts of the world had really transformed uh, their local ecologies. And so, you know, I was in part um, 
setting out to critique this really fixation on what Europe or Euro North America was doing to alter the planet. And I wanted to show how there are much uh, deeper roots in, in terms of how, um, you know, humanity or various human populations have been shaping uh, planetary environments uh, long before, um, you know, the arrival of industrial Europe. And so, you know, I, in, in this book, I focus uh, specifically on, on Amazonia. Yeah, I think that was really great to read that sort of contrast between the two. Um, and also just, I was just, really captivated by how you were able to be in the field and observe this close interplay of ecology in the Amazonian. Um, like I think you mentioned um, in your book about meeting like rural farmers in Amera Indian settlements to understand like the importance of soil. Um, so is there any specific section of your book that you found particularly telling of this like close interplay between ecology environment and humans? Yeah, there are probably a, a, a few different sort of moments that stood out to me when I was doing research. And as a graduate student, I was reading a lot in the area known as historical ecology, which is um, uh, Bill Ballet describes as a, a, a sort of research paradigm that's looking uh, not just that how humans adapt to the environment or how they manipulate the environment, but looking at the interplay between the two and um, looking at this sort of give and take between people and their environment. And that was something that was was really on my mind. And, you know, it, it, it played out in a, a number of, of kind of um, uh, subtle ways. Um you know, there were times where I had been thinking about uh, all of the sort of media that I consumed as a as a kid about how, you know, small farmers um, were, um, you know, essentially destroying uh, Amazonian environments through slash and burn agriculture. But oftentimes when I sat down and interviewed them, you know, they would talk to me about the endless onslaught of weeds and um, fungi and pests. Right. and different types of disease that would be attacking their crops and, and made it very uh, challenging to eke out a living as a, as a small farmer in the Amazonian environment. And so, you know, I talk about in the book this idea of this fragile forest was something that seemed wildly foreign to the majority of small farmers I talked to. You know, for them, they were up, uh, they were in this battle against this very robust, defiant um uh, environment and you know I, I I talk about kind of funny ways in which this is expressed colloquially um, people would oftentimes refer to their work as a batalla which translates you know literally as the battle and so you know they oftentimes saw themselves you know uh, at war with um, the pests and and, and uh, you know invasive weeds that were colonizing their fields um, you know, one, one farmer would talk, would ask me about trying to, um, you know, acquire weed whackers and other, uh, you know, uh, sort of forms of mechanization to be able to fight off um, invasive, invasive plants in his manioc fields. And so that really you know, shifted my perspective or really got me to think differently about the Amazonian environment. And in saying that, I don't want to downplay the fact that there are lots of threats to Amazonian forests. If we look at large-scale um, uh, soy uh, production 
and look at large-scale cattle ranching that we see in western Amazonia. And a good friend of mine, Jeff Holly, at the University of California, Santa Barbara, um, has done a great deal of, of really fascinating research looking at the rise of, of Amazonian cowboys. Um, and cattle ranching does have you know, incredible impacts on, on Amazonian environments. But if we look at you know, small farmers who are clearing one or two hectares of land, um, you know, they do not see themselves as being uh, masters of their dominion. They see themselves as constantly um, being challenged by the Amazonian environment. And, you know, for them, it, it, it is a gift. Yeah, definitely. And that's, I think that's really like a really telling example of this, of this intricate relationship between the environment and humans and how they come to shape our understanding of the world around us. Um, so some of some explicit examples that you give in your book are from plants to forests to botanical species. And I wonder what kind of challenges you face, faced in, in your field work. Um, I remember reading this part of your book called Saving the Amazon, which touches upon, you kind of talked about this, about um, holding like a U.S. view versus your own. Um, so I was wondering if you could sort of talk about that. Yeah, so I, I think, as you know, I, I kind of alluded to earlier, um, growing up in the United States and uh, consuming a lot of media or images that talked about Amazonia as being this environment um, constantly under threat, you know, I had this, this perception that, um, yeah, that it was this, this very sort of fragile environment and that people were just kind of laying waste to it. And, you know, there are academics or scholars at the end of, of you know, in the 1970s and 1980s that were projecting that, that you know, the Amazon would be essentially clear-cut by the beginning of the 21st century. And, you know, we found that that's, that, that hasn't yet happened. And, of course, as I mentioned, there are lots of, ongoing threats to Amazonian environments and Amazonian ecologies. But I think sometimes we also um, downplay uh, the incredible resilience of Amazonian environments and just the sheer scale of, of, of that region. So while there are, you know, concentrated pockets that have been cleared, there are also areas that are, um, you know, flourishing. Um, and I, I think in my interactions with rural Amazonian farmers, you know, I realized that things were never so simple. Uh, the kind of stereotypes or portrayals that uh, were commonly um, found in, 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 you know, research and popular writings about Amazonia is that there are essentially two types of people. There are, um, you know, people that are threats to the Amazonian environment, which includes you know, loggers, illegal loggers or illegal miners or um, um, in some cases, you know, large uh, agro-industrialists. And on the other side, there are um, people that are seeking to protect the forest or uh, to manage it in ways that we would see as more sustainable. And oftentimes um, the portrayals you would see is largely of small scale indigenous populations. And, you know, what I found in, in my time in, in rural Amazonia is that there are a lot of people that inhabit the Amazon that don't really fit into either of those, um, 
you know, stereotypical portrayals. There are a lot of, of rural people that are, you know, eking out a living as small farmers. And, you know, I don't see them necessarily and they don't see themselves as uh, having tremendous environmental impacts. Um, but, you know, are, are trying to, to do their best to make a living on the resources available to them. And for a lot of them, you know, they were very much bothered by or perturbed by the fact that, uh, you know, Americans would suggest that they didn't have the right to, to, um, farm those lands or to be able to try to, to make a living on, um, you know, the, the place that they call home. And, you know, looking further into the history of Amazonia, we see that, uh, people have been managing and manipulating the Amazonian environment for hundreds and thousands of years. And I think there was oftentimes uh, this image of Amazonia as a land that's devoid of people. And that's just fundamentally not true, that people have been living in this region for extended period of time and in a lot of ways um, have become um, very well adapted to that region. And so to suggest that they simply don't belong or don't have the right to, um, you know, sustain their livelihoods on the resource available um, was something that, you know, flew in the face of, of, of the deep history that we've come to learn. So, you know, as, as an American and as an outsider, I had to really grapple with uh, some of my own ideas about the Amazon and, and some of the um, kind of problematic portrayals of it um, that do have real deep um, political implications. You know, if, if if we suggest that people don't have the right to use Amazonian resources, you know, then you will see lots of people that are being um, essentially disenfranchised by this desire to conserve, you know, this image of pristine nature. And I think that's deeply problematic. Yeah, definitely. I do think your book really helps to um, uncover this sort of myth and these like old ideas of like what it, what the Amazonia um, depicts. So I was just wondering what you hope to inform readers about your book or what might they hope to take away? Well, yeah, as I've, I've, I've said before, I definitely want people to rethink Amazonia and the image of, of the Amazon. And, you know, today uh, the Amazon is a place that's also becoming increasingly urbanized. So over 75 percent of people in, in what Brazil deems uh, the, the legal Amazon um, are living in cities. So this image that we have of, you know, small bands of hunters and gatherers that are, uh, um, you know, interspersed throughout the Amazonian forest just does not align with uh, what the Amazon looks like today and, and really doesn't align with what the Amazon's looked like for a long time. Um, it's becoming, you know, an increasingly urbanized and um, populous place. And, you know, at the same time, I also want us to kind of question um, this idea of human dominance that, that I think is insinuated in a lot of discussions about the Anthropocene. Um, you know, humans have had incredible impacts on um, uh, global environments, and, and I think those impacts have, have really increased significantly in you know, the last 50 to 100 years. Um, but I also think that we really need to be uh, careful in terms of of um, overprivileging human agency and, and really kind of denying the fact that there are we are significantly outnumbered on this planet, and to think that the rest of the planet is just going to be 
a victim to humanity's whims, uh, I think is simply untrue. Um, so the question, you know, moving forward is, you know, how do we live uh, on this planet as a, a broader socio-ecological collective? And, you know, I think humans for a long time have kind of wanted things um, to to work in work in our favor, but we're pushing up against a number of, of forces that ultimately I think um, uh, you know will will prevent us from being able to exert complete control or domination over the planet. And so we really have to think differently. I think we have to think in more ecological terms and, and think about our relationship to uh, our broader environments in terms of a give and take. Uh, and that's that's something that I really tried to. Uh, emphasize, especially in the concluding chapter of the book. Yeah, I think that's definitely like the take takeaway message that I got, and just like the ability to critically think and understand ourselves as part of this global ecological and environmental impacts that we might have. So I do think that this was quite an illuminating book, especially because a lot of people might not know very much about the Amazonia and. Of course, I think our listeners would like to know what is the next step with this research, or do you have any future plans? Yeah, right now um, I've been working a bit more in the urban Amazon, which is uh, something that really fascinates me. And if we look at the history of uh, Amazonian anthropology, it's really largely been focused on uh, indigenous peoples in Amazonia and in in rural areas and you know my research you know my previous research also focused in in rural areas of of Amazonia kind of following along with that uh, longer history of, of anthropological investigation in the region but you know as time has gone on I've, I've found that I can't really deny the simple fact that the majority of people in Amazonia today live in cities uh, that are facing very different types of ecological problems right. So the past couple of, of summers I had been, well, American summers, I had been working in the Peruvian Amazonian city of Iquitos and looking at a community that is currently being threatened um, uh, to be resettled by the Peruvian government. The Peruvian government uh, has argued that uh, shifts in the, the course of the Amazon River and also um, uh, increased frequency of extreme flooding in the area um, has put people at risk, and so they want to move them uh, away from this floodplain where they're living to um, uh, an area that's 13 kilometers outside of, of the city. And in, in working in this community, you know, a lot of people have lived in this 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 part of the city for a hundred years and have learned to adapt to, to flooding cycles, but also are contending with lots of problems that we see. Um, throughout the developing world, they're uh, contending with problems related to management of garbage or solid waste. Um, you know, the city provides um, municipal um, uh, solid waste, um, you know, pickup. But in this particular community, they're denied that because they're in this area that's seasonally flooded. Uh, they have problems with sanitation. and They're also facing problems with uh, mosquito-borne disease like uh, dengue and uh, Zika. And so I describe these as sort of the troubling ecologies of urban Amazonia today that while in the past a lot of anthropologists were focused on uh, destruction of, of, of Amazonian forests, we see that the majority of people in uh, the Amazon today who are living in cities are, are contending with very different sort of ecological problems um, that are linked to 
um, you know, changes in um, precipitation and, and, and threats related to flooding that's linked to global climate change. Right. Uh, they're also looking at, you know, problems um, uh, related to diseases that have really, um, you know, ramped up in, in lots of developing parts of the world. And, you know, all of these things are sort of interconnected. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of interested in delving further into um, urban ecology in, in Amazonia and uh, looking at how to contend with those problems, because I think uh, those are the problems that are going to affect, you know, the, the, the majority of, of Amazonians today. Yeah, and I think that's super necessary, also necessary research. And I'm sure when you write a book about that, then we can have you back on our show. Um, but thank you so much for being on our show today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure. 